Well, thank you, John. Well, this morning, we find ourselves in the, the letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses th- 13 through 16. Well, please read with me as we share this time of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins... But wrath has come upon them at last. Oh, before we begin this message, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you. This is the word of God. And we praise you for it. We pray that your word would have its effectual work in us. And this morning to the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I found myself in the study of 1 Thessalonians this past week, you know, they say as you study Scripture, as you look to present it even to others, that you should come across as you come across phrases that are repeated themselves are important, and we should look into that. Well, as we look at this text before us, there is something that stands out, and it is the Word of God. Now, I know for those who, of us that walk in the Christian circles and uh, have been in church, maybe a good portion of our life or all our life, we, we may not think as, as heavy on those specific words or, or the meaning of that word, the word of God. What comes to mind? Well, you know, I think about my early childhood and growing up in the, the home in which I did, and we were a family that probably like yours had lots of Bibles, you turn on the, the bookshelf, there was a Bible there. Occasionally, there was a, a Bible on the table or a Bible on parents' nightstand. And it wasn't something that was irregular for me even to hear the, the Word of God, the phrase, the Word of God. Wouldn't think anything of it. Even growing up, visiting various churches, hearing the pastor proclaim the Word of God. Early childhood, wouldn't have thought anything of it. The Word of God, of course, it's, it's the Bible. You know, I remember even 
further into my, my teenage years. I was one of those teenagers that probably showed up to youth group maybe two to three times a year. Just popped my head in every now and again. I remember as a junior or a sophomore thereabouts, and, and I came to this, this youth night. And I remember the pastor saying, all right, youth group, let's all say John 3.16 together. And I just remember, John 3.16. I don't even know where that's found. John 3.16. I, I don't have... All the other youth were spouting off the verse. I just kind of stayed there mumbling, pretending as if I knew it. You know, that was a realization for me. How much did I know the Word of God? Well, you know, it was through various circumstances that the Lord led me and early on or later on in my teenage years and early on into a young adult, as the Lord does when he begins to draw a sinner to himself. And it was in those times of being at college, even up there on the hill at, at Western's campus, the Lord, by his sovereign means, began to draw me to the scriptures. And I remember looking at the word of God as I had never looked at it before. It was as if I was reading the pages that heaven shone down and it became alive and it became real and it cut sharper than any two-edged sword. Perhaps you have a similar experience. Perhaps you had a moment when you opened the Word of God and saw it as magnificent, as precious, bountiful with truth. Well, this morning, this is what our focus will be on because it is what Paul's focus is on as he speaks to the Thessalonian people. He begins this portion of Scripture by giving thanks that they received the Word of God. And that's really why I want to take this passage it's outlined for us. It's, it's given right before us how the Word of God has its impacts for the church, for believers, but also, as Paul concludes, for the unbelief, the unbelieving. So, what ramifications does the Bible have for the believer and the unbeliever? Well, we must begin first with the Word of God. Well, the Word of God actually is used some 45 times in the New Testament. Here it is specifically mentioned too. But let me give to you a couple of verses that we all may know very well or, or come to remembrance about this phrase, the Word of God. We might think of Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, By faith we understand that the universe was created 
by the word of God. In 1 John 2.14, John writes this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil. You have overcome the evil one. And Revelation 1-2, John, who authors this, says this, He who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then the words of our Lord from Luke eleven twenty eight: Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Just in paraphrasing, those select scriptures from or passages from Scripture, we can see that the Word of God is, is living. It is, it is alive. Not only is it alive now as it was 2,000 years ago, it is convicting. It is, it is life-giving. The very life of the Word that works in the heart of the sinner was also the same Word that brought life to creation. The universe was created by the word of God. It is life-giving and giving life, but also life to the sinner. It is continual. The word of God, as is said in 1 John, it abides. This, This present thing that abides in you, believer. 1 Peter 1.25 says this, The word of the Lord abides forever. It is continual, not only in the believer's life, but it is everlasting, never to fade away. And the Word of God, it amazes, right? It was the reason that John, who bore witness to the Word of God, Jesus himself, who walked with Jesus and heard the words of his Savior, was amazed by the word of God, and thus had to pass it on and to share it to others. And then in Luke, the word of God, on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed, we are blessed, we are blessed by the word of God and keeping it. So really, in in summary, the word of God is the Bible. It is the utterance of God to mankind. From heaven. What also does it do? Well, we're going to explain it here in this text as it, as it came to the church in Thessalonica. Right now, the, the word that Paul would have brought to them at this point is the Old Testament. The time frame of when this was written would have been about A.D. 50. So around that time, the, the New Testament was just starting to be written. And and this book that stands before us was probably written in about A.D. 50, shortly after uh, the time um, that that Paul had finished visiting the Thessalonians, had written it. But they didn't have this at the time when he is sharing to them the word of God. They had the Old Testament. And this is what he brought to them. But you, you see a word there in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God. Now we might overlook it. 
But that word receive in the Greek is meaning hearing, a, a hearing of the words. You know, some of us might, uh, if we've been into one of the downtown outreaches, if we've been up at, at the college, or, or maybe to those of you who, who share God's truth with maybe your family or, or an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know, we're excited if they will get to the opportunity where they actually will listen, where they will hear what you are telling them. You know, as we were out downtown on that, that Friday night, I know I'm excited when, when someone takes the time of day to, to hear you out. But we know that there's a couple ways of hearing, right? There are a couple of ways of hearing. I, you know, I think of Matthew and the Lord when he, he spoke of two ways in which we hear. Matthew seven twenty four, our Lord said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. They heard and they received, and, and thus the Lord built the foundation, and this was the foundation on which the believer stood. But we also know that not everyone hears it as such. In fact, the masses, the many, will, will hear but just as in Matthew 7, verse 26, they may receive it this way, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So there is two ways in hearing the word of God. Well, the hearing for the church in Thessalonica was a hearing of the heart. A hearing of the heart. So if you jump down further to verse 13, right? For this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You will see that word accepted. Now, I know upon initial view, maybe many of us will see received and accepted as the same thing. Okay, they received it. They accepted it. But acceptance here is, is very different than the word received. If we go back to the original meaning and inter, uh, the Greek wording, accepted here means hearing of the heart. So not only did they hear from Paul and Silvanus and, and Timothy, the words, they accepted it, an acceptance of the heart. And it was not, it was something that we see as, as more precious. And why do we know that? Because Paul said, you received it for what it really was, what it really is, the word of God. Now here in the, the city of Thessalonica, there is a, a contentious war going on between what is truth and what words will we listen to. Thessalonica is situated in Macedonia, modern-day Greece. Now, the influences of the day were many. And in fact, not only were uh, the, the teachings and the philosophies that were present in that church could battle the, the, the unbeliever for, to contend with what is truth. 
What should I adhere to? Thessalonica was also situated on a very traveled route. This route, known as Via Ignatia, was a well-traveled route that went from Byzantium, which would later become known as Constantinople, all the way to Rome. So this route was well-traveled. Many people were passing through, so it would be a hub for commercial activity, for political activity, and the influences of the world would be widespread, including their teachings. So they held up the word of God not on par with the teachings of Aristotle or Plato. This was something different. This was the the word poured out from heaven. You know, I think about this. When I think of how, you know, we can try to persuade someone to believe the word of God. You know, sometimes we might want to think that we have to carry carry them historically to how the word of God came to be. That we have to tell them how, how there's more original manuscripts on the Bible than any other text in history. Maybe we have to explain to them or feel we have to explain to them that the early church fathers accepted it. That as councils met in the early days of the church, that they affirmed this. But you know what? Something which is more powerful than all that that we don't have to feel obligated to explain that history is that when you hear the word of God, how it has that powerful effect. And it turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That is how the Thessalonians heard the word of God. It was a hearing of the heart. And that was the reason Paul could give thanks. Right? We are, thank God, constantly. You, you heard it rightly, Thessalonians. You heard it rightly. Well, which way was it making its uh, impact on the believer's life? So this is where I want to transition. We're, we're talking now from the word of, word of God to how it is impacting the believer. They received it. They accepted it. But also, what else was happening? Which you heard from us, you accepted, not as the word of men. But what what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. It was at work. It It was working. Well, where do we know that? Well, if you look early on in this book, chapter 1, looking through verses 5 through 10. This is what Paul said. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you of your sake, for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything 
For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in, in summarizing that, how, did they, how was the word of God working its way out in this church? Well, first they became imitators of those who brought it to them. You became imitators of, of Paul and, and Timothy. Uh, to, okay, we see what you're doing, Paul and Timothy, Sylvanus. We need to spread the gospel. They received it with joy. It was, it was working out not only in knowledge, but in the outpouring of their heart. They received it with, with joy. And this caused them to do something special. They became an example to other believers. And its reaches were, were far-reaching. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also everywhere. They were impacting upon impacting because the word of God was at work in them. And you know what else? They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You know, isn't that the wonderful thing of the Word of God? Perhaps when some of you think back and you think about when the Lord drew you to himself, that you were once who were serving what was dead, what was maybe not really a, a statue or a block of wood, such as the idols of the day that were worshipped in this time, but you went from serving that which is dead to that which is alive. The word of God brought the believer from dead to life. Praise be to God for that. But look what else was happening here in this church. If we look at verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So how they conducted themselves. More specifically, so we have to say, how did they have that impact? That they were impacting the other churches in Macedonia and in the surrounding regions. Well, they were exemplifying the church in Judea. We might want to ask ourselves, where was that at? Well, if you go to the very beginning of Acts, we can see the wonderful example that the church, the church as it was being formed, displayed for other believers. Now remember, as our Lord ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, these were the words that he last spoke to his disciples. That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria. This was the beginning of the church. And as uh, the disciples made their way into that upper room after the Lord's ascension, we might remember that the, there was this powerful arrival of the Holy Spirit. There was the preaching from Peter. But in best to summarize, what was most faithful about the church in Judea can be summarized in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm not going to read it this morning, but I will summarize for you what they were doing. 
These words might be very familiar with you. The church was committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayers, to unity, to selling their possessions, to fulfill the needs of the church. They met regularly. They were glad. They were happy. They were joyous. They were generous. And they were praising God. And the Lord was doing something amazing. He was adding to their numbers. So it wasn't to create church strategies to make a larger church, being faithful to what the Lord told them to do caused the church to grow. The Lord added to their numbers. And we see that here too because Judea was an example because Paul himself says brothers become imitators of the churches, plural, in Judea. The church of Judea was growing. Thessalonica was going, the Thessalonians were going to imitate that. But also, let's look here too, how they conducted themselves. But also what was going on in the life of their church. Well, they were enduring persecution. Verse 14, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Right? The word of God had its effect that it would impact the way they responded to persecution. And maybe to get a glimpse of the persecution that the Thessalonians were undergoing, we have to again go back. If you turn to Acts 17... Acts 17, we will find the origins of the church at Thessalonica. But what was going on there? Let me read it to you. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in as was his custom. And on on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down and came here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The little portion there in verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Go west, Paul. Continue preaching the gospel. But you are unsafe here and no longer welcomed here in Thessalonica. And because Paul and Silas were not welcome in this region, 
we see the suffering that they took out on the people there, specifically named in chapter 17 of Acts, this man named Jason who housed them. Right? The people were filling up, as Paul would, would put it in his letter in, in Colossians, they were filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. They were taking this out on the church of Thessalonica. But guess what? The Word of God helped them through, right? The Word of God helped them endure in such a way. You know, in today's day and age, and the church here in America, we may not experience the same sort of persecution. We, we may not endure the same persecution that they experience in nations such as North Korea, China, and Afghanistan. But you know, Paul says here in this verse 14, they were suffering for the things. You know, when I, I came across uh, my study uh, this week, I, I read a story of a man you all might well know, William Tyndale. In 1529, he had many enemies, mainly the King of England, the Emperor of Germany, and the Roman Pope. And what was his crime? He was going to translate the Bible into English. This upset the ruling authorities, which would have been the church. We cannot have the people understanding the Bible. They will turn against us. You, William Tyndale, are under arrest. So William Tyndale was on the run. Well, he had completed the New Testament. He was a scholar, of course. He says, I've got to translate the, the Greek here into English for the people to understand, to see the, the riches and goodness of the Word of God. So he completed that. Well, he said, it's not enough for the New Testament. I've got to make my way to the Old. So he actually completed the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Well, in 1529... The king of England was hot on his trail, so he boarded a ship from Germany, or sorry, from Belgium to, to Germany. He has his Bibles with him, his ongoing work of the Old Testament, and as he boards the ship, off it goes, and he can say, freedom at last. I have escaped them. Well, while on ship... A storm came, and it tossed and tattered and broke to pieces that ship, and it sank, including all of his works of the Old Testament. You know, I had to laugh when I read that, because I can just see William, who's boarding this ship, who says, I am doing the will of God. I am doing a good thing and translating the Old Testament into English so that the people can understand. And then the ship wrecks, and he loses all of his work. That's somehow how it is for the Christian, right? 
Sometimes the suffering doesn't always come in ways that we anticipate. But the Lord is using it for his purpose, just as in William's life, just as in the church of Thessalonia, such as in our life. Well, I will continue on. There is much more to be said about that. But we have to now look as, as Paul goes into a, a point of transition. Because after explaining why he is excited for the church, he starts in verse 15. Now we have to remember where verse 14 ended. The same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he's talking about suffering. You suffered from your countrymen as the church in Judea suffered from the Jews. Now he begins to tell us about the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Why the abrupt transition, Paul? He went from praising the church and their faithfulness in Thessalonia to now almost what might seem an anger towards the Jews. Now we have to be careful because we have to realize first that Paul loved his own countrymen. If we read from Romans 9, verses 2 through 5, this is what Paul said about them, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I, might, my, I myself were accursed and, and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He loved his people, even to the point of saying he would surrender his own faith, which is impossible. But he loved them. He called himself, right, of the, proud of his being of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, why the anger, Paul? Well, it's because many of the Jews thought that righteousness could be obtained by the law. So his outpouring of discontent for the Jews is not just for all the Jews, but for the unbelieving. And we can't miss that. The unbelieving. And why was he upset? Ultimately, because they rejected the word of God. And I think we can see here in this passage that they did this in three ways. First, what was violation number one? Well, verse 15 really tells us the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus. It started with that. Number one, persecution. They bore our sa they, they took our Savior and nailed him to a tree. 
And that wasn't enough for them. They would take this out on the prophets. You killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. We might think of the Old Testament. Joel, Obadiah, Nahum, Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. They, they did not like the prophets. They turned away the message of the prophets. They killed the prophets. And this wasn't just unique to the Old Testament. Looking at the New Testament prophets as well. The stoning of Stephen. The killing of James in Acts chapter 12. The first apostle to be martyred. They put Peter in jail. And as we recently read in Acts 17, they drove out Paul. They drove out Silas. They persecuted the church. What also did they do? They hindered the gospel. And this would be specific to his language here, right? And and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Why? Verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. They attempted to hinder. And I will just note attempted because you cannot hinder the gospel. But they made every effort to do that. And why is it opposing to all mankind? Because what is the greatest gift a mankind can receive? It is the gospel. It is the word of God. This is the greatest gift. These unbelieving Jews opposed them. Right? Acts chapter 4, as, as Peter and John were faithfully preaching the gospel and going out as they were commanded to do, it talks about there that the priest and the captain and the temple of the, and the Sadducees came upon them. This was their response. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You know, persecution and suffering and, and the... The attempted hindrance of the gospel was no different for guys such as Tyndale and, and even to present day that there's this attempted to hinder the word of God. And man's response, well, at least for Peter and John, put them in custody, arrest them. They were the ones, these unbelieving Jews of Matthew 23, in which our Lord said they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They were the same prophets prophesied of Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. They scattered the sheep. They did not want them believing in the word of God. So they attempted to hinder it. And then, ultimately, it is refusing to obey. And I think that's where we see here at the closing of this section. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Wrath came on the unbelieving Jews. And notice Paul is referring here to the, the presence. 
Now, we can probably speculate about a lot of things, but what was happening or about to happening that, that Paul was talking about, about this wrath. Perhaps he was look, looking a couple of decades later to, to the fall and destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 A.D., Perhaps he was talking about the, the persecution of Jews that we would know throughout all of human history. But wrath has come upon them at last. And ultimately, that wrath is that they would have to stand before a God on their works righteousness. And without the intervention of the Son, that would be the wrath. And, and they were filling up this measure. So, right, that, that, that was Paul's point. You guys had the Lord Jesus. You had the prophets. You had the law. You had that. You had knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge. You didn't believe. You know, maybe we can look at this and just say, man... The Jews, why didn't they believe? Some believed. We, we even see that in Acts 17 in the building of the church. Right? Remember, Paul went to the synagogue. Some of the Jews believed. The, the church was formed of Gentiles and Jews. Some of them believed. Praise God that some of them believed, but the many would not. And, and Paul's not contradicting. I just got to make note of this. Paul was not contradicting that one day there is a special, unique place for Israel. Read Romans 11, right? A partial hardening of Israel has come upon them. Until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right, one day, all Israel will be saved. The Bible teaches that. That day will happen. It's a, it's a partial hardening. But on these days, for many, a wrath has, has come. And we don't want to zero in and say, well, that was just the Jews. Right, we have a response too. Right? We, we can't just say, I have, I have the knowledge of the Scripture. I have the knowledge of a, of a Savior. I know the Gospel. No. We have to believe upon it. Right, we, don't, we don't want to have to, to, to fill up the wrath of just having knowledge. We have to believe. There is a response. And you know what? We see that with the Thessalonians. They believed how it was working out in their life, how they, how they suffered under persecution, how they loved the hope of the, the Word of God, that there is hope in none other but the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And this is what it is for us, right? We have to receive a hearing of the words that starts there, but we have to accept a hearing of the heart, the same things that were brought to this church. And you know what? Not only does that work begin when we hear and believe, but we must not leave it at that. And if you look, 1 Thessalonians is so encouraging because we see a faithful church. They are passing on what they know to be true. And they pass it on in such a way that was so right and so God-honoring. Summarizing chapter 2, this is how they declared the word of God. Right? They did not want to bring it to the Thessalonians with impurity or any attempt to deceive. They never came with words of flattery. They were not seeking their own glory. Paul uses the example that we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Do you see that wording in there? 
that they carefully shepherded the people with the word of God. You know, I am excited. I know many of you are too to see the work that has been done and is being done here in the life of Emmanuel. Amen? I'm excited to see that. We have much to rejoice in. But we also know that faithfulness is not based upon the faithfulness of of a church body. And what I mean is every individual, every individual has to respond, right? We can't respond on the faithfulness of, I attend a faithful church. We as individuals have to respond. And when we we respond in, in faith, Right, The working of God through the power of His Word will make its way out into our lives. And we can be an example, right? I know that in some ways we are doing that. But as 1 Thessalonians teaches us in, in chapter 3, this is what Paul said. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Right? It, it wasn't enough that, wow, we're doing good. No, it's just continue on with that. Continue on with that, that love and, that, and may love abound, may peace abound and, and the joy of the Lord abound in you as you continue to do this. Not only setting the example for individuals here, but also for other churches. Right? I want us to be an example for the other churches in, in Bellingham and in the neighboring area to set an example. Well, how long do we do this? I'm glad you asked. You know what? I, I know when I turned to, I taught out of, in teaching out of 1 Thessalonians, many of us might think of the coming of the Lord we often turn to 1 Thessalonians for how our Lord will come back and the things that will happen in the last days. But you know what? As was in the church nearly 2,000 years ago, the weight that they have is still the same weight that we have. Paul told them and to wait for his son from heaven. If you read chapter 4, For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. (laughs) Trumpet hasn't sounded yet, has it? Not yet. Trumpet hasn't sounded. Praise be to God, we're going to continue that work. The word of God, would it have its effect here in Emmanuel Bible Church and beyond? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Oh, we praise you, God. It is not of us. It is of you. And Lord, would we be faithful to respond with belief and love for the word of God, to share it on, to pass it on, until that great day when you return. In Jesus' name, amen.